you would take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 4. I'm going to have to blast through this, which I've probably never done, but uh, it's always with a good heart and good intention. Today we're going to see Jesus revealed as the master communicator. If you remember, we noted in the, in the Mark and introduction, we said that Jesus really wrote to the Roman people. They were more concerned about pedigree who they were than, uh, and what they did versus what somebody would teach. So Mark doesn't spend a lot of time on Jesus' teaching. He really focuses on his activities and his actions. But today we're going to see, and next week we're going to really look at a couple of uh, his teachings, probably one of the biggest sections of Jesus' actual teachings to the people that he was around. Jesus had this great ability to take the most profound truths and present, uh, present them in such a way that was really very... Uh, understandable and acceptable to the common man. In a couple of places in the Gospel of Mark, you're going to see or hear it, re- or you're going to read where it says these great words. I love this. It says, And the common people heard him gladly. You know why? Because he was the first rabbi that made sense. He was the first rabbi that lived out what he said. He was the first rabbi where you could see and understand his heart and see his compassion in action uh, other than just being these old guys in robes spouting and pontificating truths that really had no relevance to the people's lives. Except, uh, Scripture says, it would kind of bind them down and weigh them down. So Jesus, he's this storyteller. And we're going to see today, starting with the first one in Mark, that he tells stories using parables. It's not the first time that they were ever used, but they're actually throughout. The the rabbis always told stories, and they would tell parables. They just didn't make as much sense. But parables go way back. If you remember when uh, Samuel confronted, or excuse me, when Nathan confronted David, what did he do? He told him a parable. And it's interesting because David didn't pick up on it. Otherwise, he just got mad and said, I'd kill the guy. But the guy that Nathan was talking about was him and his sin with Bathsheba. And so a lot of times, parables are kind of a a way to tell a truth in kind of a softer way. Now, the word parable comes from two words, para, which really means alongside, parachute, paramedic. But the word para is alongside. And then balan means to throw. So what we see here is a parable is something that is, uh, that it is uh, thrown alongside. So Jesus takes a story and he throws it alongside what he's really trying to communicate. It's an earthly story to convey a heavenly truth that will get attention and make it easier for these people to understand. So as we get to this parable, Jesus is talking to these people and he's around them and all of a sudden he probably sees this farmer just sowing seeds and throwing seeds because this was an agrarian society, he's probably thinking and all of a sudden he goes, oh, by by the way, let me tell you what the kingdom of God is about. You see that guy over there throwing seed And 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 he goes into this parable. And I suppose it's kind of like Uh, you know, these people, they would have understood and they would have engaged immediately into the story Jesus was telling as he ties in this farmer scattering seeds. It kind of like, be kind of like me talking to you or any other local group and saying, you know, the kingdom of God, it's, it's, it's kind of like football. There are many teams 
But in this one kingdom, let's say there's two teams. There's this one team that's kind of crimson and gold. And, and there's another that is silver and black. And, and one of these teams, the crimson and gold, clearly represent the truth and the good. <laughs> and, and all is right with the world. And this silver and black team obviously just by virtue of their colors, represents all that is evil and wrong. <laughs> and then I would go, yeah, see, exactly. See, you, you picked up on that right away. I mean, that's what a parable does. It makes it very understandable. It breaks it down to grassroots level. And, and that's what made Jesus such a master, wonderful communicator. So let's pick up. I, I don't want to hear anything from Raider fans. I'm... Uh, I, the, the reason I, I say that is because I think now the Raider fans, actually, um, we have more Raider fans than we do 49er fans, which is a switch. But, but you know, uh, we, we evaluate a lot of our church stuff in staff and with our leadership, and we come to this conclusion. Do you know why we now have more Raider fans? Because we have reached more lost people in the... <laughs> we... We... The Christians, the Christians are finally winning and pulling in the, uh, the evil empire. So getting back to the word, for you Raider fans, attack and rush the stage and kill me because you're not totally sanctified yet. Chapter 4, verse 1 again, Jesus began to teach by the sea. This is a very large crowd gathered around him, so he got into a boat on the sea and he sat down. And while the whole crowd was on the shore facing the sea, he taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. Notice this word is, is, is gonna be throughout this first part of the, the chapter and the verses, the first 20 verses that we're gonna read today. So it's kind of underscored. He says, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. Because as he sowed, this occurred. Some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and they ate it up. And other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it sprang up right away since it didn't have deep soil. And when the sun come up, it was scorched, and since it didn't have a root, it withered. Now, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came and they choked it, and, and it didn't produce a crop. Still others fell on good ground and produced a crop that increased 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. That's quite a return. And then Jesus said, anyone who has ears to hear should listen. Now, Jesus is setting up this whole focus now on the kingdom of God. Remember, the kingdom of God is simply the rule and reign of Christ. Every kingdom has to have a king. Jesus came as a king. And so he's talking about, we understand this, on the basis of Luke 17, 20 and 21, where Jesus said, look around, the kingdom of God is within you. And, and, it's, and it was Jesus who was within them, with them. And so he's declaring that I want you to know some things about the kingdom, Verse 10, he says this, and notice there's, a, there's a, a, a scene change here. He's with the multitudes, and now he's talking, it says, with just those 12 who were among him. He said, and when he rose with the 12, those who were around him asked him about the parables. They're saying, see these guys. I love it. They're scratching their heads. Jesus, can you kind of 
can you kind of reveal this a little bit more for us? And he answers him and he says, ah, the secret of the kingdom of God has been granted to you. But to those who are outside, everything comes in parable. So that though they may look and look, yet not perceive. They may listen and listen, yet they don't understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. So we got this scene change here. There's a couple of things I want you to notice. First of all, notice the crowd. They came for Jesus' teachings. You know, man, amen. And there's a crowd mentality like that today in the church. I'm just telling you. As long as there's something, I've said this before, and I really believe it. You know, people have a tendency to migrate like piranha to the big thing happening in church. It's kind of like the, you know, like the fire truck going through town. The church of what's happening now will always attract people. And people, you know, they want to come. And the Bible even says in the last days, 2 Timothy 3, that, 2 Timothy 4, that they want to get their ears tickled. They want to hear the greatest and the best talk and talker. And we see that in Jesus. It's nothing new, loved ones, under the sun. Because you just got to hear these guys, you know, they're sitting around, they heard about this great teacher, Jesus, and all of a sudden, in this great miracle worker, he gives this little parable, and they go, oh yeah, right on, and they're gone. And a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus will always press in. Jesus, I want to know, I want to hear, I want to understand what you're really saying. Give it to me. And that's what these disciples are doing. They're pressing in. They're reaching in. They're saying, Jesus, give us the truth. But the the followers, they just kind of hear and and they kind of go on. And Jesus is trying to underscore, highlight, accentuate that kingdom people have to press in. It isn't just about hearing. Well, if you're like me, you're reading this story and you go, I, I, I thought the parables were supposed to make it easier to understand and you know, it sounds like Jesus is doing just the opposite. It's kind of like he's trying to hide the truth, not reveal the truth. But Jesus' stories, and much like this one, were designed to do both. They would hide the truth and they would reveal the truth. See, to anyone who was really seeking, anybody who was really sincere and curious and interested, these stories became clear. But they were also used to hide truth from those who were hostile, stubborn, and resistant. And we really see that in the Pharisees, don't we? I I, I really believe this. Part of the reason that Jesus did this too is Jesus, he's God. Okay, he's man and he's God. He speaks the word and what happens? The, the, The world is created and everything is framed within it, right? He speaks the word and people are healed. So when, when he's teaching, I can imagine that maybe, I wonder if it's possible that one of the reasons that he might have taught this way was, well, he didn't want to force, he didn't want to manipulate people to believe and to respond on the basis of just his sheer ability to communicate. And so he really forced people to think about to engage and to consider what he's saying. He didn't want to manipulate or coerce people, but only have people respond on their own volition because Jesus never trumps our volition. He gives us, that's one of the the key things about being a human is we have the choice. We have the freedom of choice to choose to follow, to choose to reject, choose to walk away. Some of you today, you're gonna have this choice in this meeting right here to choose to follow. 
choose to reject, to choose to argue. Well, Jesus says this, and then he says, okay, now, guys, you want to know? I'm going to explain it to you. And so now he makes application. He says, this is what it means to you and to everybody else that wants to be a kingdom person. Verse 13, he says, and then he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand any of the parables? So it's almost as if this is like a foundational parable. Understand this because this becomes kind of the launching pad or the springboard for the next ones. And he says, the sower sows the word. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear immediately, Satan comes and he takes away the word sown in them. So you guys see this guy, a farmer would have carried on his back a bunch of seed and he would have just grabbed it and he would have just spread it around like this and thrown it as he walks. And they would have walked on paths that were hard. And as he throws the seeds, it would have been in between the places where they wanted the seed to take root. So as as he's walking on this path that would have been a pathway for people, a lot of seed would have fallen there. So he says that's one of the places where the seed can fall. Now what I want you to see here is that there's four soils that Jesus is talking about. It's dirt. And really what it is, it's our response to God's word. In this parable, the seeds represent the message of the gospel, the good news about the kingdom of God and what Jesus wanted the whole world to know, what he wants you and I to know. In the parallel passage of Matthew chapter 13, uh, Matthew notes a key word and he says, when it falls on the heart, when the word falls on the heart. So we understand what, what Jesus is talking about here is our heart and its receptivity. That's the dirt that he's talking about. First Peter 1.23 says this, that since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. Remember, there's two things that are eternal, God's word and people. And he says here, This is going to last forever. What is going to happen when it lands in your heart? When you hear it, what's going to take place? Because we understand the seed falls on different soils, and and there's different receptivity of people, isn't there? So Jesus really underscores and begins by saying, listen, listen. And then he ends this by saying, listen. If you have ears to hear, listen and receive. Just like this soil has to receive the seed, I want you to listen and I want your hearts to be receptive to what I say about the kingdom of God. So we see here this first hard path dirt. What is it? Well, it's an unreceptive response. Fields were along this way. They were narrow paths. As I said, uh, the the farmer would walk, and as he's just spreading uh, seeds liberally, some would have gone on that hard path that would have been trampled down. And what he's saying here, loved ones, is this, is that these people, they hear the message, but they don't receive it. It's because people really do have hard hearts, don't they? They don't receive it. It it attempts to take seed, but ultimately it really doesn't. What is he? He literally says that even Satan comes, that after after the message has been, been spoken or shared or heard, it says literally that Satan comes and he takes it. Because people, they don't take the opportunity to think about it, to reflect on it, to understand or accept it. So why are people hardened and unreceptive? 
Why do these people he's talking about here, the people today, why, why, why do they hear the message but they don't receive it? Why doesn't the message penetrate their hearts? Why do people take, make no attempt to really take it in, to understand it, and to accept it? Well, there's one very critical way, reason. You'll find it, and if you want to take this note, it's not in your notes, but 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, where it literally says that the God of this world blinds people's eyes where they really can't see and respond and hear the gospel message. Now, there's a lot of ways to interpret that, and this could probably be a whole talk on its own, but I'm a firm believer that everybody can respond. Some people say they can't. I don't believe that. I believe Scripture is very clear that God doesn't want anybody to perish. But it really comes down to what are you going to give the influence to? Are you going to give it to God or are you going to give it to the world? And whenever you give it to the world, you really begin to submit to the God of this world. And you say, that's who I'm going to listen to. That's the first thing. But there's other reasons. There's intellectual reasons. We understand there's anti-God groups. There's brilliant thinkers that have written books that are atheists and totally against religion and God, and, and that's fine. They have a hard heart. They have a disposition that for whatever reason has set themselves to be anti-Christ, anti-God. As Karl Marx said, that religion is the opiate for the masses. It's just something to kind of prop them up and to help them, which really, as you understand over time, you've got to be a lot stronger than the masses to be able to believe and to have faith and to really live out the message of Christianity. How about this, moral reasons? A lot of people don't respond to the gospel. They have a hard heart because of moral issues. They really find it difficult to, to buy into this whole Christianity thing. Are you trying to tell me that some antiquated book is gonna tell me how to live? It's gonna tell me what I can't do, what I can do? Are you kidding me? That I can't live this way or experience that or live out this kind of lifestyle? Are you you kidding me? Uh Uh-uh, not for me. What is that? Well, that just continues to be a hardening of the heart where they make a decision. I've had people come in here. I've had people at weddings. When I start talking about the husband and wife relationship, I had one lady come up to me and just says, you're just an, and I was like 34. She goes, you're just an old man thinking that way. I mean, that's crazy. And I go, well, okay. And, and, and just in the, in the process of this beautiful wedding, you know, her heart's getting hard because she was hearing the word. And, and that's what happens to so many people. For other, persons, it's, for other people, it's personal reasons. Many people have been offended or they've been put off by Christ followers' lives. And because of that, they don't even give the message a hearing. They've been burned. And now they won't listen. This probably bothers me as much as anything. Listen, loved ones, and I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this with a lot of pastoral love, but I, I really mean this. So many people, we know this, decide to accept Jesus based on what they see at you at work or in your neighborhood or wherever. How you talk, how you treat people. I have, I have a hobby horse, and you know what it is. You don't know what it is, but you'll know when I say it. You know what my hobby horse is right now? is Facebook. You know why? I, I, you, I, I, I sometimes get kind of, I don't get mad a lot anymore, except when some of you beat me in golf, but I, 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 I don't get mad about a lot of things anymore. But one of the things that just stirs my blood is Facebook. 
That's why I stay away from it as much as, I mean, other than a couple times a week. You know why? I read those things, and I go, how in the world do these people ever think they're going to reach anybody for Jesus? They come off as angry and judgmental and just mean-spirited and all of those things because they make some of the, the, the things they say on there. Because you, and you can say, well, I, I didn't really mean it that way. But the problem is, is when you're dealing these little short snippets of things or even sometimes longer ones, you, it, it just doesn't communicate well. And I'm not kidding you. If, if I was a Christian and Facebook was my, 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 my portal to Christianity, I would say, heck no. I'm not kidding you. I would. Matter of fact, sometimes I just want to go, heck no. <laughs> because I just go, what, what, is, is there any wonder why people don't want to go to church? Well, pastor, going to have conviction. You, you know what? Jesus had conviction but he could communicate it in a way that didn't sound stupid, angry, or mean, or biased, or prejudiced, or judgmental. Okay, that's my hobby horse. Now, the reason, loved ones, that becomes so important because there are people that you go to work, or you go here, or you go there, or they read your posts, and you know what? You just kind of help with that hardening of their heart. Now, I'm, not, I'm not saying you're to blame, because ultimately it's between them and God. Okay, do you hear me that? But, but, but we can either help soften or we can help harden. Does that make sense to you? Okay, I'll get off that hobby horse right now. You know what they say, don't you? When the horse is dead, dismount. <laughs> now here, some of you are here today and maybe you feel like you've got a hard heart or you've been there. The very fact that you're here means you probably aren't an unreceptive or resistant person to God's message. But if you find yourself arguing and, and fighting with this and don't like what you hear and won't give God this honest, open hearing, I want you to, I want to say it like Jesus did. Listen, hear me, pay attention. Because eternity ultimately weighs in the balance of the message of the kingdom of God. There's two kingdoms Remember the parable I started with? But it's not those kingdoms. It's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light of Jesus. Verse 16, Jesus goes on and he deals with the second one. And he says, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately, I love this, they receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves and they're short-lived. And when affliction or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately stumble. Have you ever heard a great sermon? Have you ever heard a good sermon? <laughs> Have you heard a sermon? <laughs> Help me out here. Um, the, the rocky ground response is, to, is these people, they hear it and they're glad. Whoa, great word. I loved it. It inspired me. I liked it. It was entertaining. It was funny. It was whatever. And they walk out and they go, I'm going to live it. But what happens is, is they really don't follow through. And because they don't follow through, their roots don't go down. And the seed that falls on this, this rocky dirt, it's really not about rocks. It's really a, 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 a ground that has a little bit of dirt on kind of a limestone layer. And so once it got past the initial dirt, 
then it would kind of hit a hit a hit a a, sea, a a floor block, and it couldn't go down any deeper. And this person, this rocky person, they hear the word and they receive it with joy. It's great. Things are looking good, uh, but not for long, because they don't have a root system. They only last a short time. So when troubles in their life come. When persecutions come, when they, when they find out that people don't just like, oh, wow, you're such a sweet person because you're a Christ follower. When they get attacked at work or by another family member, it's so easy to begin to move or to fall away. Or it's like the guy that hears on a Sunday morning, here's a great talk or a good talk or just a talk on uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And he's getting all romantic there at the table and he reaches over and grabs his little wifey's hand and, and she gets, oh yes, he's getting it. And then he leaves and she says something and he goes off. And I mean, he's not even to the car. And forget that love your wife as Christ loved the church stuff because he hasn't allowed it. He hasn't really taken it in and allowed it to seep deeply into the soul and into his heart. It's like people who hear, you know, something about finances and how God wants to help you and, and, and build your financial life. And it isn't just about how much you can accumulate, but it's about how much you earn and how you work hard and you're faithful with that. And then you're a generous giver. And, you know, you say, okay, man, this month I'm going to give. And then, you know, he doesn't fill up your bank account that month. And you're like, what the, you know. And, 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 and then you, you pull back and you don't give anymore. See, it felt good at first. It sounded great. But you didn't have a strong root system that took you deeper, further. Sometimes rocky people are simply offended and they stumble at the truth. They just always have a hard time taking it in and living it out for the long haul because we are microwave people. We're an expedient culture that wants it now. And if it doesn't come now, what do we do? Well, we just uh, forget it. It's too hard. I remember reading when I was growing up, I, you, you know, I love basketball, and there was a guy who played for the UCLA Bruins, and then he played for a, a couple of NBA teams. His name was Walt Hazard. Into his, his, his uh, NBA career, he ended up converting to Muslim uh, and, and changing his name. You know what one of his reasons were? Because he grew up around Christians and Christianity, and he says none of them are willing to pay the price like a Muslim. And he said, I don't want to be a part of a religion or a part of a faith that will not pay the price. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Go in through the narrow gate because the gate to hell is wide and the road that leads to it, it's easy. And there are many who travel it, but the gate to life is narrow and that way it leads to is hard and there are few people who really find it. See, the easy way, loved ones, is the wide path, and it always will usually lead to hell. It's not easy being a Christian. See, when people come to me and they say, Pastor, I got this thing. I want to know what's God's will for this. And give me some principles. You know, I think I've told you this before, but one of the key principles to understanding God's will is this way. Four words. The way of the cross. You really want to know God's will, and this isn't a popular message for uh, Americano Christianity. Because the, the, Jesus 
always took the way of the cross. You'll see it throughout the Gospels. He'll be going, and all of a sudden it says he set his sights on the Jerusalem to go to the cross. When he thought about taking a way out, he said, no, it's the way of the cross. And listen, loved ones, I just really believe that sometimes the decisions we make, I always oftentimes will make the hardest one because I like ease. I like the lazy boy recliner. But I know Jesus will challenge me. He'll challenge you. He'll challenge us if we want to grow and develop deeper roots. It's always, almost always going to be the harder way. Jesus calls us to take up our cross, to die to ourselves and to live for God, to love not just our neighbors but our enemies, to take the difficult way in life. See, isn't it, this is Americano, especially even Christianity, it's so easy to bail on our marriage when it gets hard. We'll bail when work gets hard. We'll bail on the church when it gets hard. When you start getting a tough message, when someone starts speaking into your life and challenging you, you'll just want to quit. And many bail on God when it gets hard. Well, he's not meeting my needs. He's not doing this for me, not filling my bank account, not changing my spouse. My kids are still a mess. Okay, what's I got to do with Jesus? He never promised you anything except eternal life once you come to him. And we have all these expectations on him. And, 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 and he promises you uh, the, the best life to get through those things, not necessarily to take them away. Because you know what? It's all of those things, loved ones, that begin to develop and deepen your root system. Because that's where you really have to trust Jesus. So how do you put down deep roots? How do you go deeper so that you can survive the heat? How do you go deeper so you can survive persecution at work? Or thank God, in America, there's not a lot of persecution, but I don't know when it could start coming. I mean, we've just been listening, you know, hearing in the news of these people that are getting beheaded and children, and some of it's tied into their Christian faith. There's people in Iraq that have said, either you confess our faith or we're going to kill you or you've got to leave. See, we're not even, we're too comfortable, we're not familiar with that, and, you know, I'm thankful I wonder what our faith would do under that kind of persecution because Jesus says if you don't have roots, guess what? You're not going to make it. You're going you're to burn up and die. So how do you develop it? Well, first of all, you develop deep root system by getting into God's word. Know God's word. Know what you believe. Know who you can trust. So it isn't just kind of a little plithy, oh, trust Jesus in everything, but where you can look back and you can say, I know I can because this has happened in my life. Develop your root system by being in community. Listen, life is easier together than it is apart. And this is one of the things that I can never get about Christians. But as soon as it gets hard, guess what they do? The first thing they leave is church and their community. It's because they have a shallow root system and they really don't want to have to face up a lot of times to the truth of what they need to do to change and to grow in Jesus and to trust him in the midst of everything. Or because of a root system, they don't trust and they just go. And what happens, they shrivel up even more. Develop your root systems deep in Jesus, loved ones. Stay close to him because trouble will either push you away from him or lead you to him. Guess what? You'll make the decision. 
If there's no root system, you will not last. You will not grow. Verse 18, he talks about another dirt, another system. He says, others are sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the seduction of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So this is the thorny dirt. This is the distracted people. This is the distracted response. You see this again. I've kind of mentioned that people want Jesus to rule in their life. They start well, but then all of this stuff out here, really it's peripheral stuff, becomes so attractive. Now hear me. I say this all the time because there's always new people coming in. I have, I, I, I have nothing wrong with people having, okay? I don't care what kind of car you drive. I don't care what kind of boat you drive, play in, or I don't care what you have. This is the kingdom principle. It doesn't matter what you, you have as long as those things don't have you. And sometimes we have a hard time discerning and deciphering that. And that's why I will challenge you. Proverbs says it this way, that God blesses and he adds no sorrow to it. Now that word blessed isn't just talking about things and money, but that's part of it. When God blesses your life and you work hard and you have stuff and you, know, for, you, know, you have nice cars and nice homes, God doesn't look down on you. He says, I give it to you. I've blessed you with it. I've given you the abilities to make it. I've given you the, the privilege of having it. And I'm not going to add sorrow to it. I'm not going to make you feel guilty about it. That's why I say, you know, that's why never, never forget to be thankful for being born where you are. And that God has given you the acumen and the abilities and the gifts to have what you have. But don't let him have you. Don't let him have you. See, there are people that hear this word and they grow and they're looking good and they're doing well. They're gonna be fruitful. But what happens, it says here, well, things begin to crowd their life, really their heart, their soul. And literally, it's this picture where you've got these these sprouts of life coming up and then all of a sudden, these thistles and these thorns begin to kind of move around choke them out, cut them off, crowds their life and moves them away from fruitfulness. He says three things here, the worries of this life. Now get this. See, the worries of this life, this can be speaking to the person that doesn't have a whole lot. See, it's not just about rich people or people that have a lot. It can be people that don't have a lot. And they become so worried about making ends meet and just taking care of stuff that that chokes out their life. God says, don't allow that to happen. I am your provider. But then he says, the second second person is those who get caught up in the deceitfulness of wealth. This speaks to the wealthy person who mistakenly think that money will make you happy. And the third person is the desire for other things. And you can be poor or you can be rich or you can be middle income. You can be anywhere. It says this distracts many. Work harder, work longer. Keep up with everybody else. 
live the American dream, gather, get. And sometimes in our lives, and I think this is really Americano Christianity at its core, it begins to distract and detract from what Jesus wants to do in us. And this is probably the area that most of us have to work with. Some of you guys know that uh, I, I'm sorry about this, that I do this, but it's just what I do. But I, I'll text you at 2 or 3 in the morning. And I forget. See, my phone is always off. Not like turned off, but the dinger is always off. So it's next to my bed, but I never hear it. And I know some of you, you know, you have, you've got it on 24-7, 366. But sorry about that. So I'll send a text and, and I'll just say, hey, if, if I can't sleep, I usually just start praying for people in the church and usually the men. And just sends you a text that says, hey, I'm praying for you. You know, just say, well, give me a couple of names or names until I fall asleep. And so I, I, I kind of do that with people. Whenever I just think of them, I'll text them. Say, hey, I'm praying for you. I just did that recently to a guy. I said, bro, I haven't seen you. Oh, yeah, pastor. Oh, man, the work. Oh, man, I'm working every Sunday. Every Sunday, I'm working every Sunday. And listen, hey, just time out here. I understand sometimes that happens. So uh, I work Sundays, don't I? Um, (laughs) You know, but I I take my Sabbath. But, um, but, but you know, this has been his pattern for as long as I've known him. He'll be here for two months. Oh, bless God, I'm back. You know, and then he'll be gone for six months. And I'm not ragging on it, but this is an example of this very thing. We're priorities. They they just get out of whack. And I love this brother, and I love his family, but his 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 life is like this. One minute is blessed Jesus, the next minute is I just want to drop kick everything. Why is that? You know, it's because that's what you know the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for things. Managing your life so you always have time for God, Jesus, space. And for some of you younger people here, you think like, okay, if I just get a job, all the worries of life will end, or a better job. No, you'll just get more because now you'll be, it it takes to the next thing. Or if I just get a a spouse, (laughs) all my worries will end. If I just get kids, a bigger, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, we think it's all going to end. Or, or if, I just, if I just have more money. No, 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 no. Because you know what we do? We just kind of keep going up and up and up. Need more, want more. This soil, this weedy soil may be the most common for all Christ followers in America. And it's so easy to get distracted with from Jesus, from good things. And good becomes the enemy of you becoming a greater kingdom person. So what can we do? How can we weed our gardens so that we can grow, so that it can grow in us? This is what I'm trying to do. Number one, live more simply. I have a lot of nice things but I've gotten rid of a lot of nice things. I really do have less. Because I just, I don't want the clutter. The more I have, the more I gotta take care of. 
Give more generously. This is probably the best antidote if you have a tendency of being deceived by wealth. Use whatever you have for God's purposes. We are managers, not owners. We are stewards. Be a giver. Be generous. Break free of the kingdom of thingdom. Trust God daily rather than worrying about if you're going to get this or have that or be able to meet this. Work hard. Trust God. Some people hear the word, but it never matures because it gets choked out by things. So Jesus says in the last verse here, verse 20, but the ones sown on good ground are those who hear the word, welcome it, and they produce a crop, 30, 60, 100 times what is sown. So as the sower is just throwing the seed, and we've all of us, you're hearing seed today. Some seed fell on the good soil where it came up and it grew, it produced a crop. Here's the response to the word that Jesus wants every one of us in this room to have. That's the dirt I want. I want you to be hardy dirt where, where, where that heart receives the word implanted. That's what James says. What does James say in chapter one? I want you to receive the word implanted and not just be a hearer, but it leads to doing and living. I hope during the week that you read your Bible and I have the privilege of just meeting with a young man once a week in the morning and this is one of the th- big things that we're talking about right now is that we don't just read it to read it, to check it off, to check off the bookmark like we received this morning. We read it. If it's one verse or 10 verses or 10 chapters, we read it to receive from Jesus, to know Jesus better. Because when you do that, that's when the word begins to get grafted into your life and seeps deep moorings of faith into your soul. And you say, oh, That's transforming. That's what I need to do. That's how I need to live. I hope when you come here on Sunday that you you really do engage. That you don't just come in and say, gee, I wonder how how McElroy's doing at the Barclays. I wonder how the pot roast is in the crock pot. Gee, I hope it doesn't get too dry. I hope you're able to stay engaged for 45 minutes and say, Jesus, I, I, I want the root system to deepen and to grow. So how do you, conv- how do you cultivate an, an open heart? The only way we can ever hope to be fruit-bearing good soil is that you first of all understand it's all about Jesus' grace and power and you cooperate with it, that you are a person that will hear the word, you'll hold fast to the word, you'll have faith in the word, and you will do the word. We're gonna, we're gonna read in a few weeks, probably a couple months, about the Pharisees. You know what they always did? They questioned and they argued with everything Jesus said. And when you do that, you are moving toward a religious heart, not a hearty heart. Don't assume, loved ones, this is important, don't assume that you are good ground. (laughs) You are not stuck in one of these places, nor do you spend all of your life here. I recognize all of these responses in my heart, usually within a week. 
Do you? Oh, no, Lord, I, I don't want to believe that. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. Oh, I didn't get to it. You see, loved ones, you've got to be really careful that we don't just sit here and go, oh, yeah, that's Adam. Oh, thorny guy. No kidding. Cameron, oh, seen him 10 minutes. I'll bet he's a rocky dude, you know. And pretty soon, we begin to look around and we don't look at our own hearts and say, that could be me any day in any situation. And never assume that just because you're here, you're good ground. Whenever I read this parable, and I do it a couple of times a year, it always challenges me to look at my heart. The worst thing you can do is to assume that you're always good ground unless you're changed, being transformed, growing in areas that Jesus speaks to you about. The end of this story ends with a great harvest. When we listen and we receive God's word, we let it grow in our lives, it will bear fruit. Well, what kind of fruit? There's a bunch of different fruits in the Bible, but let me just let you start with one. Galatians 5, and 23, it says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, that's what God wants to continuously build and grow and establish a root system in our lives. Why? Because it's the character of Jesus. Jesus is love. Jesus is kind. Jesus is patient. And that's how you, you want to grow that fruit in your life and allow it to take root so you can give it. You want to be more joyful? You want to be more peaceful? You want to be more patient? You want to be more kind? Re- receive the word implanted in your heart. Here's another fruit that you're transformed and you will resort, you will, that will result in helping you to transform the world around you. You'll love other people better. Your relationships will be healthier. You'll be a better husband. You'll be a better wife. You'll be a better son, a better daughter, a better friend, a better neighbor, a better employee. You'll care more about people. You'll care about justice. You'll be more like Jesus. Well, Pastor, I have a hard time with this. How do I do it? Let me just close with this little story. Write this scripture down. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. uh, the, the, The prophet Hosea, through the inspiration of the Spirit, is talking to God's people. And he says, you've left me. You're a mess. You're a sinful wreck. And this is what you're gonna need to do. Again, in agrarian culture, he says, I want you to break up the fallow ground. What's fallow ground? It's hard. It's hard to cultivate. When I was in high school, I think I was all of 145 pounds. Um, A lot less muscular than I am now. (laughs) And we moved into this new home. And it was a wreck. The yard was a mess. And had some hard side yard. And I, I liked kind of doing this stuff, so I... I got the rototiller out one day. And I said, I'm going to rototill this sucker and I'm going to really make everybody in my family proud. Well, it was interesting because my dad was working days and he was getting ready to come home. And so I'm out there rototilling and it was really weird because all I was doing is kind of cutting up the grass and scratching the ground. 
And I was just, you know, I was just holding on for dear life and just, you know, trying try to get in this road or tiller going around and around. And, and, and it was just, it was, it was, nothing was happening except the grass was going down. That was a good thing. And scratching the dirt. My dad comes over and goes, what the heck are you doing? Dad, I'm rototilling. So he turns it off and he goes, give it to me. I'll show you. So he goes, he grabs a shovel and he starts digging just in a couple of spots. Kind of just turning, just really humping the dirt up. And then he grabs the thing, he says, watch this. And he takes the rototiller and he just holds it there. Me, I was just kind of going, oh, how come it's not rototilling? You know, I'm not a, you know, I'm a, I'm not a country kid or anything. And so he just holds it there and he kind of catches one of these places where he spades. He just holds it there and he's going real slow. And he begins to rototill a little bit at a time. After about a half hour, he said, okay, come here. That was a lot of work. Because <laughs> I wasn't just going over the surface now. Man, I had to work. But I want to tell you something. The grace of Jesus doesn't exempt us from digging and plowing and spading with his assistance, his power, our heart. And that's what I want to encourage you to do, to be a kingdom person. Say, Jesus, today, where do I need to plow? Where, where do I need to break up the ground so the word can develop deep, deep roots? What do I need to work on with your spirit? And can I tell you something, loved ones? When you begin to live that way, you're, 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 you'll, you'll, you'll grow, you'll change, and you'll begin to see the people around you grow and change.